Well, friends, today is the third Sunday in Lent, and we're beginning a short series called Towards Jerusalem, because I want to use the next three Sundays, taking us up to the beginning of Holy Week, to get into the minds of Jesus and his disciples as the tension built. They were quite literally on their way to Jerusalem. And while Jesus knew precisely what was going to happen there, the disciples were in a state of hopeless confusion. And that's not a good place to be. It leads to panic and frustration. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know where you're going. And, you might, and you're afraid of what might meet you when you get there. Now, two weeks ago, David Sprouse unpacked chapter 17 for us. That's the chapter following the one we're looking at this morning. That incredible event on the Mount of Transfiguration. And if you remember, the central point he made was that when Jesus was transfigured in front of Peter, James, and John, he revealed his true identity. That was the moment when they saw something of the Son of Man in his glory. And that's where we're beginning this morning, by discovering who Jesus really is. Now, you may think that for Christians who've been around for decades, it's a question that hardly needs asking. But I think you'd be wrong. Constantly, we have to come back and back and back and confront the Lord Jesus Christ, interface with him. When I'm praying for um, someone I pray for every, every day, he's in prison. My prayer for him is, Lord, meet him today. Meet him today. That's what we have to do. So, the disciples thought they knew who Jesus was. He called himself the Son of Man, and that, of course, took their minds to the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel, which is full of tremendous promise and expectation of the moment when the Ancient of Days will give to the Son of Man power and glory and authority over all things. They must have tingled all over when Jesus was describing himself as the Son of Man. And then, as we read in uh, verses 13 and following, plenty of people speculated that Jesus might be John the Baptist or one of the old-time prophets, Elijah or Jeremiah, risen from the dead. But it was Peter who got the prize. Verse 15, Jesus said, what about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus' response must have made Peter glow with satisfaction. Verse 17, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. Yes, Peter was right. So why did he go spectacularly wrong only a few verses later when Jesus was accusing him of being Satan and saying, out of my sight, you're a stumbling block. You're in the way. Get out. That satisfaction that, that um, Peter must have felt changed in a moment into a crushing sense of being rebuked. Why did it happen? 
Well, you see, we can see what's on the surface and be totally wrong about what lies beneath. We like to trust our doctors here in Haywood, Seath, and Linfield, and we have every reason to do so. I dare say many folk from Hyde in Greater Manchester trusted Dr. Shipman. What they didn't know was that the friendly GP, whose parents had been devout Methodists, was steadily building up a killing score that probably reached about 250. You can be wrong about some folk. The three women who had long-term relationships with Mark Kennedy never guessed that he was really an undercover policeman who'd been deliberately infiltrated into protest groups to spy on their activity. Maybe he was able to give his superiors some valuable intelligence which frustrated criminal plans. But the discovery of his true identity certainly came as a shock to the women he deceived. Peter was in for a nasty shock, too. He thought, you see, that the Christ, the Son of the living God, was there to fulfill everyone's desires and longings. At last, God would keep his promises and send the Romans packing. Israel would be free again, independent, free from foreign domination. Peter and the other disciples would be first in line for the rewards, which must surely come to Jesus' inner circle. What was all this nonsense about going up to Jerusalem to be handed over to the chief priests and to be killed? That can't be part of the plan. Clearly, Peter didn't understand the implication of what Jesus said about being raised from the dead. But you can't blame him, can you? He was trying to get his mind around the suffering bit first. And it had all been so different just a little while before when Peter had made his confession of faith. Jesus had told him that faith like that was the rock on which he was going to build the church. He went further and he said, whatever Peter bound on earth would be bound in heaven. Whatever he loosed on earth would be loosed in heaven. Now that's incredible. But Jesus had made the promise and who was Peter to doubt it? Roman Catholic Christians interpret that as a kind of delegation of divine authority. We understand it differently. For us, it's the vindication of the power of faith itself. It's the vindication of the power of faith itself. If you accept in your heart that Jesus is indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God, there is nothing he cannot do in and through you. The possibilities are endless because faith like that opens the door to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. And that's the rock on which the church is built. That's the rock on which we base all our understanding of a personal relationship with Jesus. So Peter was right when he said that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God. But he was to realize the true implications of that, what that really meant, who Jesus really was, only after a set of difficult discoveries. Seeing Jesus transfigured before him, as we heard two weeks ago, was one of them. But so was the awful 
realization of his own weakness when he denied Jesus on the night of his betrayal. You know, Peter is such an encouragement to me because he is always making mistakes and saying the wrong thing. Always opening his mouth to change feet, as you might say. If you're anything like me, you'll know how Peter felt when, as Luke records, the Lord turned and looked upon Peter, and Peter remembered. He'd promised to stay by Jesus until death, but after that little spat in the Garden of Gethsemane, he'd melted into the crowd like the rest of the disciples. Oh, yes, he'd, he'd followed all the way to the, the high priest's courtyard, but when the confrontation came and he was challenged to keep his promise, like we all do so very often, he let the master down. And Luke records that when their eyes met, Peter realized that Jesus had heard every word, every oath, every swear word of that denial. He broke down in shame. We know that feeling, don't we? Every sincere believer knows what it means to meet the eyes of Jesus and remember the promises we've broken. But you see, this is the wonderful thing. It's in moments like that that transformation comes. That's the glory of grace. It's when you realize and know your need of Christ that he can transform you. You can't fill a full vessel, can you? Only an empty one. The road to Jerusalem was a hard road. The challenge of following Jesus has never been easy, and he made that clear himself. He said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will find it. It's the road that leads to Calvary, and like Peter, there will be painful discoveries to make along the way. But we've got to walk that road. And we've got to keep walking. Now, I'm not boasting, but I do go to the gym. You wouldn't believe it, but I, I do. And I'm there on the bike and with the arm bike doing my exercises. I'm only there on the arm bike for 10 minutes. Now, you would think, wouldn't you, that anyone can do an, a, 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 an exercise like that for 10 minutes, but it takes everything I've got, and it's all right when it's about seven, eight minutes, you know, I'm, I'm on the, the home straight, but boy, oh boy, is it difficult when it's only two minutes or three minutes or four minutes gone. The Christian life is difficult, and the road to Calvary is difficult, but we've got to keep going. We mustn't turn our backs on Jesus. Because although there are painful discoveries, there'll be glorious ones too if we don't turn our backs on Jesus.
You ought to believe in thought transference. You really ought to. Let me tell you a story. Ruby Hamilton had prayed for her husband to come to know Christ for years. He was a successful businessman in Chicago, but he seemed totally deaf to his wife's entreaties, but she didn't give up. Eventually, she felt in her heart that God had given her the assurance that he would indeed be converted. So you can imagine how confusion and disappointment was added to grief the day he was killed in a car crash. She had no opportunity to say goodbye to him. No chance to ask him one last time to give his life to Christ. She couldn't understand why God had let her down. Gradually she became bitter. After giving her the assurance that her husband would be saved, how could God break his word? And the bitterness ate away her faith, and she turned her back on him. What she did not know was that earlier that day, her husband had given a lift to a young soldier who had been discharged from the United States Army. He was a Christian, and somewhat against his better judgment, he felt compelled to share the gospel with Ruby's husband. And before they reached their destination, he'd pulled off the road and quietly weeping with his head resting on the steering wheel, he had accepted Christ as his saviour. Well, five years went by and the young soldier, now married with a family and pursuing his own business career, came across the card that Ruby's husband had given him with the invitation to come to Chicago and look me up sometime. So, his next business trip was to Chicago and he made his way to the offices of Hamilton Enterprises and asked to see him. The receptionist told him that it was impossible to see Mr. Hamilton but if he wished, he could see Mrs. Hamilton. <laughs> now, he was rather confused. But nevertheless, he was ushered into a large office and found himself facing a keen-eyed woman in her 50s. She held out her hand and asked if he'd known her husband. Oh, yes, indeed, he told her. And then, to her utter amazement, he told her the rest of the story. So where is your husband now, he asked He's dead, Ruby replied. He died in a car crash after he let you out of the car. He never reached home. I thought God had broken his promise. I turned my back on him. And from that day to this, I haven't prayed. I lost all faith in his goodness. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. Sometimes, like Peter, we will be totally and utterly confused Next week, we'll be dealing with another stage along the road to Calvary. And the disciples will still be walking in fear, not understanding. It's a hard road, not only because it leads to Calvary, but because as we walk it with Jesus, there will be some very painful discoveries to make. We have to come to terms with the reality of Christian discipleship and learn what Jesus really meant when he said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, 
but whoever loses his life for me will find it. You know, I think there's only one time when a human being has expressed something that Jesus said better than Jesus expressed it himself. I've quoted it very often. Forgive me for quoting it again. It's the words used by Jim Elliot, one of the five, uh, I think there were five, there may have been four, young American missionaries who were killed in Ecuador as they landed their plane by the Indians they had come to reach for Christ. And Jim Elliot said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And sometimes we'll be in exactly the same place as Peter. No, no, no. This must never happen to you. But it's got to happen. It's the only way. But as we walk the road, this one thing we must remember at all costs, we will be in the master's company.